Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. everyone to another edition of buy or sell what the hell i'm your host or jason jenkins i'm here as usual with dimitrik ferguson and alex z which alex you ever you want to say your last name because it's impossible to say so that's why we always call you alex <laughs> i know my whole life uh jibsnis it was a fun childhood <laughs> and anyway um so welcome back i'm not sure what episode we're on it's probably got to be what nine or ten dimitri this is episode nine yeah i know okay um you know and so we're doing these about twice a week now which i like and we'll just stick to the format so we'll talk a little bit about where the market's at what's been going on to start the week we can even talk global macro which i think is important because obviously what's going on and as far as volatility blowing out and this move we've had in U.S. equities matters. Obviously, as our market or cryptocurrency develops more, it's going to tie into the global market as more and more institutions get involved. And then we can talk a little bit about um, a couple topics. Valuation is something that we wanted to kind of hit on. How, how do you value Bitcoin? Some thoughts around that. And that kind of goes hand in hand here with, um, you know, we're always constantly talking about calling bitcoin a bubble and trying to compare it to tulips i had some thoughts on that i'm sure you guys do also and then we can we can hit the news as well and kind of what we like for the rest of the week Um, i like it where do you guys want to start i don't know zoop if i can call you zoop i think i think z's a little more more smooth. <laughs> Z's, I call you Z. All right, Z. I I I want to do the bubble thing because that's my favorite. I love it's it's such a like circular reinforcing phrase about Bitcoin and crypto. Say, oh, it's a bubble when it's going up, and then when it goes down, and see, ha, I told you it was a bubble. And then the next time it does the same thing, but the prices, the hires are high, and there's higher highs and higher lows. I'm picking up on your lingo. Right, <laughs> higher highs and higher lows. The next time, oh, it's a bubble again. It's just a bigger bubble this time. It's gonna pop. Goes right. down to a higher how low. Many, how many bubbles can it be? Exactly. <laughs> like, is it is it just a re? Is it is it bubbles inside of bubbles? So, anyways, like, how do we address this? Like, is it a bubble? Is it? I know. I really yeah. wish you know somebody would just come on some of these media networks to just say like, stop. I mean, to to me. I would say, well, what's your definition of a bubble? That's exactly what I would ask back. You know, it depends. If you want to talk about something that has a, you know, rises in price and then has a 50% retrace, 
or an 80% retrace. Okay. Go look at what the VIX did the last two days. It was down, down, down for a year and a half and then did a full 80% retrace in basically one day. So there's a bubble in the vault, you know, in the VIX, the short side of the VIX. Um, you know, to me, a bubble is something, whether it's a asset class or an industry that has a big run up and then pops, but then absolutely dies. It's not, the internet didn't die in 2000. It was just had a, a growth phase. It got a little way above itself. And then we had a nice 80% retrace. And we're now we're at new highs, the NASDAQ, several years later. We all know it came out of the internet. It didn't die. Um, <laughs> so to me, a bubble is something where you really, it gets way overdone and then it completely dies. So I kind of think of that as more of when we have a big phase transition or some sort of creative destruction as as it as um it applies to like you know sectors or areas in business where you have some big technological shift or big change in trend which yeah i mean so anyway so was, i find it interesting that in this book and this is jesse livermore's book on how to trade in stocks it's not the reminiscence of a stock operator this that one's good too but this one's actually better because he lays out his trading process, his model, his psychology. Uh, he was one of the few traders back then that had this understanding of time also. And, um, but he lays out in there how he used to chart and draw and keep track of prices. And it's, it's really cool because he has examples of his trading book in there. So you can find that online. Um, but in there, he talks about some of these prices in 1902. And he was referring to how everyone thought that the, the uh, the railway industry and the railroads were, you know, bulletproof. And um, he talks about New Haven was selling at two hundred and fifty five dollars a share. He goes on to say, in December of nineteen oh six, Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul sold at one hundred ninety nine dollars sixty two cents. He says in January of that same year, Chicago Northwestern sold at two forty, and then in February. Great Northern Rail, uh, Great Northern Railway sold at three hundred and forty-eight bucks a share, and he's and he's talking about how they are all paying these great dividends, right? And then he says in quotations, he's like, "Look at these investments, quote investments today." So <laughs> he said in January nineteen forty, so you know, less than forty years later, thirty, thirty-five, thirty years later, um. Here's the following prices. New York, New Haven, and Hartford Railroad, 50 cents per share. Mm. Uh, Chicago Northwestern, fifth, five and sixteenths. Five sixteenths. <laughs> Jeez. Which is about 31 cents per share. Great Northern Railway, 26 bucks, 62 and a half cents. So that was on January 2nd. And then 1940. There was no quotation for Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul, but it was quoted at $0.25 cents a share. That's, that's a bubble bursting, and that was brought on, obviously, by the automobile industry. So when we kind of want to compare, like, the best charts I've seen on the tulip mania was either it went from zero or two bucks to 60, 
And then some of the other charts, I might have to go back and try to actually do some, find some real books with some real data because people throw stuff on the web and then throw around misinformation. But another one I saw was 25 bucks to 200. So let's just say that one. That's basically $25 um, to 200. You know, that's a tenfold increase. Well, Bitcoin, just back in 2015, we already did 200 to 2,000. We already went 10x. And then from there, we went 10x again in less than two years. So the point is that we've had a lot of these little, like we were talking about, the bubble bursting within the bubble. But this is still the beginning of an entire, this digital ledger system is a brand new way of doing things, a brand new technology. It's not just a tulip. It's not just, so yeah. for me to call it a bubble means that the whole technology is going to die out, which, you know, the answer is definitely no, it's not a bubble. <laughs> yeah, I think that you're right there is that people, what people don't understand that are just getting in the space now is that there's a utility that the Bitcoin provides, and that's the ability to to have access to that ledger, of access to a network where you don't need a third party to verify that you've sent Bitcoin to someone else, or on just a general blockchain, you know, basis, you don't need a third party to verify that the conditions were met to send yeah. one transaction to another person, and. You know, people don't understand that that is the util. That's what the technology allows. Now, whether you think that's a big deal or not, um, that's for another conversation. But obviously, yeah. you know, we do. So, so we just we just can't keep referring to everything that has a good run up as a bubble. I mean, to me, the automobile was the technology that disrupted the railroads. So the the railroads were the one that ended up in, being in the bubble. Well, Bitcoin and blockchain is not, it's, it's the disruptor. So it's the one that's, and it's what's, what makes it so cheap is that it's not just disrupting the currency markets or the currency financial system. It's can disrupt the banks. It can disrupt the remittance system. It can disrupt micropayments and merchant services. Um, you know, this, a store of value concept as far as, pulling market share from something like gold or silver. So I don't know. I guess we should talk more about valuation then if if we're going to be stuck on this, is it a bubble constant mentality every time we have a good run up? Then when you see Bitcoin as a currency and payment solution, I mean, it's hard, yeah. to, hard to quantify that. Right. So then you have a whole group of people, the unbanked, as we keep calling yeah. them. Not only are they not in the banking system that is market share that Bitcoin and crypto can grab, but they're, they're not in the gold market either. You know, they, those, those same people, maybe if you're in India or somewhere, but I think of like third world countries, they're unbanked, but they're also not, they're not long a bunch of, you know, silver Eagles and <laughs> that they got tucked away. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's, I, I think we should break it down into basically five sections. I, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about this. So, you know, there's some, some people that have done some work at like MIT on how you value a network. I think it breaks down to you can value crypto when you look at it from the value of a network perspective. You can value something 
on a comparable basis or a relative value basis. You can compare, you can try to do valuation based on these like currency equations or a monetary base. So that's another category. And then when you just want to look at it in terms of like applications, I mean, uh, you know, Bitcoin has the potential to take market share from the currency market, like we talk about gold. But what about like the gaming industry? It's changing that where more and more people, you know, I'm not a big gamer, Alec, you kind of are more so, but you used to get points. Well, now you get crypto. So there's, it's, it's going to grab market share from that. Or if we talk about computer power, or file sharing, I mean, uh, renting out your computer and, you know, what, what percentage of the market does that take from server farms? Mm -hmm. um, you know, along the, the monetary base stuff, well, <laughs> if you look at an equation like monetary base equals uh, P times Q divided by V, which P is the price of goods, Q is the quantity of goods, and then that's divided by the velocity of money. Well, that kind of plays into, you know, this idea of, okay, how much, how many dollars are out there in circulation, U.S. dollars? And is that, can we compare Bitcoin, if we want to talk about it from a currency perspective and the monetary base, and then look at how many euros are out there? Well, it's kind of the numbers that I've found is between 500 to 600 billion euros, actual cash euros. And then there's probably another a trillion in dollar actual cash dollar bills that the that's that's come off from the Fed supply, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's probably another trillion that's maybe fake or counterfeit. So call it two and a half, maybe three trillion dollars in just circulating currency. Well, <laughs> when you want to compare Bitcoin to that, you've three trillion dollars right there. And what are we at now? We're at 130 billion for BTC as far as market cap, mm -hmm. 129. All of crypto is 356, 356 billion as we talk. So it's still 10 times just to get to a comparable number of, and that's just the, the actual physical dollars if you want to compare something apple to apples. That's just on the currency side. Yep, mm -hmm. and that's just dollars. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, and so oh, I don't know. I think that you you make the store of value case. It makes sense to say, well, what's what's my market cap of gold, cap of ply, and compare Bitcoin to that or to the overall market. But then Bitcoin has a lot of other use cases that makes it even more undervalued, like we kind of already talked about, from remittances to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just eating into other industries. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, we were just talking about all these different, you know, sectors it fits into. And it was kind of interesting watching the SEC uh, uh, talk today and how they're trying to figure out from a regulation standpoint, which category it fits in. And it, yeah. and you know, they're talking, it doesn't just fit in one. It influences so many different, it has so many different use cases. Yeah. Is it a virtual currency? Is it a security commodity? Right. I mean, to me, it's much, it will be much easier to value 
and that's the other thing too. Crypto, we can't just lump it into one thing. You have you have the coins that are acting like currencies, like the Moneros, like Bitcoins, mm-hmm. and we've got the kind of the network coins, right? Your Ethereum's. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you have some of these companies that are running real projects that are making money, like Assault or you know, like District. These guys are going to have revenue models around their ecosystem and their project. Those those types of tokens are going to be a little bit more easy to value based on some of those cash flows. Um, you know, I guess you could get into proof of work and the cash flow that's generated around, you know, the Bitcoin protocol and look at some of those metrics. Um, yeah. you know, then you can look at the number of users. These MIT guys were saying that the value of a network is equal to the square root of its users. So you take, you take Bitcoin, if you can figure out the unique addresses, and then you also add in like the transactions that are executed by each each address, you can get to a pretty, uh, you can get a figure that actually has tracked the price of Bitcoin pretty well. Um, the square root? Got some charts on that. Yeah, these, these guys were saying take the square root of the number of users on the network, and that gives you, that equals the, the value of the network. So that would be another way if you really wanted to try to value this this space. I mean, it's like, holy crap. And then, I mean, you could also <laughs> value in how much energy was put into actually creating that Bitcoin, for instance. Right. I mean, how much goes into it? I mean, it's not just code. I mean, you know, you actually have to commit some sort of resource to create it. Yep. And then I guess the difficulty. Yeah, the interest, intrinsic um, value. What I'm hearing is like a... Uh, an opportunity for our audience to engage with the show is <laughs> what kind of valuation models are you building out there and how do they apply? Because honestly, you know, this is something that we've said before is that there's nobody going out of their way to find these valuations and how we value these things. I mean, every time you, when you turn on CNBC and you see the little ticker at the bottom, it says Bitcoin price watch. And it's like, what is that telling me? What do you, what, <laughs> tell me what you, like, they're not going out of their way to tell you what that value means and in, in anything of that nature. Like they do with anything else. They'll bring on a, a, they'll bring on a Facebook stock specialist to tell you about like their PE ratio and what it means and going into the future and how to value Facebook stock, but they won't do the same for crypto. Right. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, there's opportunity there. If you ask me. It's a good point. And like I always harp on, I mean, the valuation, if, if your starting point to make money is valuation, you got it completely backwards because this, you could use the same valuation at 19,000 that you can today at 6,000. And that, that person that builds that whole scenario about why, Bitcoin should be valued at 300,000 in 2018. It doesn't do anybody any good that just hears that at 17, 18, 19, and then gets crushed. We dropped 50%, 60% in four or six weeks. That's just, you got to talk about, talk to me about the timing because when matters, I mean, be a million for one BTC one day, but you know, 
what happens if we back up all the way to 500 first, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And the idea of HODL takes that whole question of, well, yeah, well, when is it going to go to 30,000, 100,000, 300,000? Because what if it crashes down to three first before then it rallies three years from now back up? I mean, sitting through a drawdown of 50% or somebody that comes in and people get sucked in on that euphoria and all the valuation nonsense and nobody's, I mean, Hopefully we can kind of fill that void and say, hey, you can't just ignore the rate of change. You can't just ignore how price got to 19,000. It's straight up. It's vertical, mm-hmm. all kinds of angle and distance. It's way too overbought. You need to be a seller. You know, people are saying, is it a bubble? The question should be, you know, is it what do I do? Sell? Do I buy or I sell? And the, you know, the, the answer should have been sell. You mean sell <laughs> yeah. short? No, no, don't sell short either. Just if you're long, you sell. If you're not long, too bad. You missed it. Wait. And now, okay, now down at seven, eight thousand, six thousand. Now you can buy on your quote valuation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had a pretty good point early, Demetric. I think we were talking about not everyone can afford just to buy and hold. When I mean, people that are saying that have been in this space since what, 2014, 15? Yep. I mean, what happens when you drop everything in at 17, 18, and it comes all the way back down to six? I mean, you can't just afford to buy and hold that. I know Absolutely. if you shouldn't be investing money, you you know, doesn't mean you can't be smart with investing your money. Yeah, that, that stemmed from a conversation I had from somebody in our Slack. He actually, it was less of a conversation if more of telling me to be more responsible for the things that I say on the show. And he was just like... um you know, holding is a complete horseshit idea. And I was like, well, it's worked out fine for me. And he was like, yeah, but you've been holding for a very long time. You know, some people, whether you like it or not, are pouring money that they can't, that they can't afford to lose into this stuff. And no one is responsibly, responsibly telling them like, Hey, now's a good time to, to sit back on the sidelines. And, you know, so maybe there can be a new narrative that starts here with, buy or sell what the hell that maybe hold hodling is great and all for memes. It's <laughs> funny, <laughs> but it doesn't work well for the person who didn't get in on this stuff four or five, six years ago who yeah. can afford to, to hold a position and still be up more than their wildest imagination. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not going to work for the new people getting in. And you got to think about where's my average cost too. I mean, that's we work on that every day when you're day trading because you you want to work a position. You got to keep your average cost close to the market. Um, you'll know that if you're a market maker. I mean, you gotta, you know, you can make a market on both sides, but you you, you got to have your average. You got to know where that is. Well, if you're in since 2012 or <laughs> nine ten. You've made so your average cost is so far below the market, or especially if you've already taken some profits, then you can let some run and you'll never, you know, it's free money at that point. But someone that's brand new in the market and we're still saying, is it a bubble? And the question should be, should I buy now? Yes or no? Are you long? No, you should be selling up here. You know, we're eight weeks straight up after basically 
going 10 X and three and a half months that any analysis that's worth its, you know, weight and goal is you're supposed to sell there. And if you're not, and if you, if you want to put a little bit in, cause you, you want to add on a pullback, that's fine, but you got to be, you just put a toe in the water and then you got to wait for the bigger pullback. And that's exactly what we've gotten. But, uh, got to start with the timing and the risk management side instead of throwing around terms like bubble nonstop. Yeah. But that's what we're here for. That's what we're going to be here for is so like, we're not throwing around the term bubbles. We're, we're throwing around <laughs> terms. Hey, this is a good time to buy, or this is a bad time to buy. This is a good time to sell. Yeah. Cause that bubble, I'm getting tired of hearing that. It's like one, you don't even know, like, this is coming from people like in my family. They're like, is it a bubble? And it's like, you don't even know what that is. What are you? <laughs> You're a dentist. Like, what are you? <laughs> When's the last time you cared about a bubble? Like, get, yeah. go, go somewhere. Yeah. You know, so it's like, well, it's not. Uh, well, we could talk about another bubble is, you know, let's talk about the other markets. Bond market, we're at 5,000-year lows in interest rates. 5,000-year lows. That's the biggest bubble in maybe the history of markets. What does that even mean? Explain explain to me what <laughs> I – you said that with a lot of conviction, and I'm just like, that's been going on for 5,000 years, and nobody even wrote a book on it? Like, what's, what's going on? You read guys that have studied monetary history, and that's basically what we're at. 5,000-year low in – and rates and uh when we were at negative rates and um that's so it's crazy when you think of it that in terms of putting it in its context um you know i'm not one of these guys that thinks that the stock market's in a bubble by any means but look what we just did again it's important to talk trading in terms of relative value and, and not in terms of absolutes but everything's relative CNBC is putting out things in our chat. Some guy put in a, a video today that it was like a hit piece on Bitcoin. Oh, it's it's lost sixty billion. It's below seven thousand in just several weeks. Like sixty billion? Are we are we kidding ourselves? Global markets just dropped the last eight days four trillion. The VIX went from nine to fifty in one of the biggest moves in the history of volatility probably 95 percent 90 95 percent one day and we just erased four trillion on just a small six percent move like in the in u.s equities so we're talking about 60 billion in bitcoin versus four trillion in eight days it's just it's silly i mean <laughs> <laughs> You sounded like Alan Iverson in that one video. Practice? <laughs> we're talking about pra- we're talking about sixty billion. It's funny. <laughs> I mean, it's What's true though. What's do these days? Yeah, like freaking. Yeah, it's true. Uh, they they everyone create. That's why I just love when people go bananas over like Bitcoin and crypto being like. 300 billion and I'm like do you realize like how that like Wall Street could wipe their ass with 300 billion dollars <laughs> like, that's, that's that's the same size as some companies just single companies yeah like yeah 
They Six, will peel three hundred billion off of their shoe and throw it in the garbage like on a on a Monday, and that's what they fucking did yesterday. So it's like, <laughs> what? What? Why is everybody getting so crazy? Like this I mean, is a had long a, way to go. We have a. We hadn't had it was something like four hundred days in the markets that we haven't gone with a five percent correction. That's like never happened since nineteen twenty eight. And we're not talking about oh it's four trillion in eight days and we're still talking about how Bitcoin is dead because it's <laughs> it went ten X again and is wow, sixty billion off its highs. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what was BitConnect? Two, two and a half billion that it fell out of the sky? I don't even know. I stopped even. Once I heard the verification that BitConnect was done, I was done even. I like erased it from my brain. <laughs> like I was like, good. It's gone. Oh, these well, markets are still babies. We could talk about some some good news. Oh, well, I perceived as good news was that SEC hearing today. Yeah. Um. That so today, if you're listening to this on the day we're not recording, it's February sixth. It's a Tuesday. Um. SEC had a hearing today, and um, it was the Senate versus the chairman of the SEC, correct? Am I correct on that? I better be correct on that. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you want to too long didn't read or too long didn't watch, um, they're basically going to take a hands-off approach and kind of mm-hmm. they don't want to put down any regulation that will harm the market is what they're saying. Yeah, that's refreshing. That is very refreshing. It gives for me. It, I know how slow government works. It means I have another year to have fun in crypto. That's what it means to me personally. <laughs> it, it, it was pretty funny seeing this complete 180 by the community about everyone's so anti-establishment, you know, anti-government regulations, and now just praising the hell out of it. You know, they like that politician. Oh right. yeah, <laughs> only you only care about their opinions when it lines up with yours. Everybody wants to harp on the government until they start to figure out who's going to build these damn roads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it was refreshing because generally, I think what the status quo was, everything was kind of just lumped under, you know, one, mm-hmm. you know, one tent. And now they're kind of talking about the differences between the currencies. You know, there are some that are virtual currencies, and there's some that are obviously securities and commodities. Yeah. And it was interesting getting a, a refreshing kind of take a step back and actually look at each one individually uh-huh. and not just lump blockchain while they're all security. Right. Yeah. It's like See, they finally figured out that they're going to have to work hard to figure this out. Oh yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, you know, I kind of look at it. It's going to be a battle. I mean, you're going to have the libertarian, the green party or uh tea party guys that have always been pretty critical of the fed and, you know, a lot of them want to go back to a gold standard, which doesn't make any sense at all. So that would be so deflationary; it would never work. But you know, they're they've always been pretty critical of the Fed, and so I see a, there's a lot of people with that type of thinking in in our government, at least that I think are going to be big promoters of crypto. 
Um, and then obviously there's going to be a lot of the, the, you know, political corrupt elite establishment, whatever that, um, is going to be kicking and screaming. And, you know, there's, there's no, there's no question that there's people that try to manipulate elections. There's people that try to manipulate silver markets, palladium markets. They're going to, they're, they're in there trying to push our market around too, especially those that aren't that don't really want to see Bitcoin succeed, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some, I think that. Go ahead. I think that's why it was so interesting seeing, watching that talk because they were so excited. It seemed like about the technology. You know, they're a little skeptical about the currencies, trying to figure out where it goes, and yeah. they, you know, they want to regulate ICOs. I mean, that all completely reasonable positions. Reasonable, reasonable yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's yep. some quotables too. So yeah. the CFTC chair, sorry, so to clear from earlier, guys, is the CFTC chair and the SEC chief. That's who the two the two guys that were talking to uh, the Senate. Mm-hmm. But uh, one quote from the CFTC chair is like, we're used to volatile assets like Bitcoin. When he said that, I was like, oh, drop the mic. Please drop the <laughs> mic. And, and then, you know, the SEC chief, he said, every ICO I've seen is a security. Now, a lot of people would think that that's bad news for everyone who's trying to skirt securities laws. But this is something that we've talked on this show just like the last four times we've recorded now about the fact that like there's money sitting on the sideline that wants to take a position that can't. They literally cannot. It's against the law for them to take a position. So if there is, if there are some regulations and guidelines yeah. set on how for how that money can get involved in a crypto security. Well, we got a whole new ball game, and that could happen in the span of like six months if they start to say, "Okay, you know, here's some legislation as to what it looks like and how you can invest in a crypto yeah. security." Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to get the <clears throat> to get the real institutional money flowing in. We got to that stuff all needs to be ironed out. Yeah, yeah I mean, because- and, and wouldn't weeding out any sort of bad projects? I mean, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Oh no, it's be good. For sure. Some people, I'll tell you, like, this is like some people uh, don't like anarchy, and that's most everyone that loves society. So there's got to be rules to the game, you know, and and regulation was just a matter of time. I think, I just think so. especially when, when you look at the, the age demographic that's getting involved, too. I mean, he was, the chairman was talking about his kids getting interested in a hooked. I mean, I don't know how old they are, but. I mean, just the millennial generation sees Bitcoin as mm-hmm. a store of value more than gold. Right. So that that should that should tell you something. Right. I mean, and those. I mean, that demographic needs to be protected in some way from BitConnect, yeah. for example. Yeah. I mean, and, and as time goes on, you're gonna have more and more the younger generation that will be the politicians, and mm-hmm. that's what they're gonna know, and they're not gonna be. It should be much more. Uh, aware and friendly towards crypto, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know if it was a direct quote, but it was something that made me super happy. And uh, the um, the SEC chief basically said, you know, there's an entire generation of Americans right now that are interested in something that could, you know, be world changing, and we owe it to that generation to allow them the opportunity to. To build that, that's a definitely yeah. a paraphrase of what he said. Mm-hmm. But 
still the fact that he said that and he recognizes that, I was like, oh man, this guy's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. And where do and in a so-called capitalist society, where do we get off telling people what they can and can't buy? No, you can't you can't purchase um this, that, and the other on a credit card anymore. What? Like why? Because it's a law now? Since people are supposed to be making laws first off out of the legislative branch, not just the banks. If if the banks don't want to lend for you to buy Bitcoin, okay. But what does that tell you as a as a business, as a banker? You're you're telling the consumer they can't buy something that they want to buy. And and it happens to be a technology that can completely sidestep your business model. So people would be like, okay, well. Everybody wants to buy crypto. You you banks won't let us do it on your credit cards. Well, guess what? <laughs> we're we're already building a system that doesn't give two shits about your credit card. That you know, mm-hmm. goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> we won't I won't use my credit card. You know, I'm not gonna be using the bank very soon either. So okay. <laughs> yeah. The banks are doing a great job of not asking people what they want. <laughs> you know, like to me, that's like if you own like a a restaurant and somebody's like, "Hey, can I get the ribs?" and you're like, "Uh, the funny thing about that is, no, you can't. You're gonna have a hamburger, and you're gonna yeah. like it." Yikes. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I thought I was the customer. Like, I guess it doesn't work that way yeah. with banks. So, yeah. So you guys sent me a million. Um, you know, pamphlets in the mail about opening up a credit card with you. And then I, and then when I want to buy something, you tell me I can't. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's thanks, man. They, I guess they, they try to get a stronghold. I remember one, when I was in the, in the throes of the, like, uh, Occupy Wall Start, pro, uh, Occupy Wall Start. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> And I saw this picture of like everybody, all the streets really, really angry. And the bankers were like eating brunch above them on a balcony <laughs> with champagne. I was like, oh, well, that's pretty much everything that needs to be said right yeah. there in that picture. So, um, but it was, this is going to be back and forth for years between. The bank's not getting it, and us being like, oh, okay. Yeah, apps like Robinhood. Um, I saw an article today that said that Facebook is not going to allow cryptocurrency exchanges, and I was like, yeah, right. Just wait until it starts taking off around yeah. the globe. You've got mm-hmm. Telegram getting involved, Line, which is a big deal in Asia, like a really big deal. Line is a huge deal in South Korea. And they're going to offer the ability for you to buy and sell and send crypto. Hmm. So it's like, all right, Facebook, you, you better, you're going to miss out yeah. on that. And I bet you Brian Armstrong every night, every day wakes up and says, I can't believe everyone on the planet is letting me make $2 million a day. Oh, no, right? <laughs> and no one is figuring is out. It, no, I think about that too. How is it taking so long for... I don't, but to their credit, they've they've gone through probably a fortune get being to you know to be get set up legally and all the regulation. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, to be compliant, 
Yeah, that's that's probably why he shaved his head before it became a big deal because he knew he was going to lose his hair anyways <laughs> from the stress. So he's like, I might as well just get rid of this hair in my early 20s. Uh, <laughs> get rid of it now. Uh, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> I'm fighting it. I like LeBron. I keep that hairline there just in case. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, well, what do we want to talk about? Other coins coming up here? Um, so it looks like we had a little bitty bounce. Um, it, I think in the chat they're calling it a bull trap. Um, we bounced off of that level that you were talking. You've been talking about for weeks, man. You said the, the six thousand. 6,600, somewhere in there. Dude, your was, pie. Your pie line. buy time. Yeah, that was nice. I mean, that's just, we've seen that happen so many times in different markets on different time frames. It's just kind of a natural, you break, it's always the same progression. Like if you look at a weekly chart of Bitcoin, you go vertical. As soon as you take out the prior week's low and you're after you've been vertical, you got to watch for a move back to the eight. If you can't hold the eight, then you watch for a move back to what we call the bands, or sometimes it's a 30-day or 50-day. It's not one magical line, right? It's just an area that you you go up so far, you can't hold the level. You got to have some sort of, you know, there's there's energy there. There's a distance that, that makes sense for the market to pull back to. So what's nice about our pie line is that it incorporates time more than anything. So we cycle away. It just takes a certain amount of time to digest markets into, and it's a phenomenon where it's not about a level. It's just more about time that's got to go by. And a lot of times you do get price to come back and converge in that same spot at the same point in time. So that was the 6,000 level. We actually tagged it exactly this morning. So from here, I look at the weekly cycle that we, again, we crossed and rolled over and December 18th was the first down week we had since uh, November prior to that. So that was when the weekly cycle rolled over and it's, and it's, it's towards the low end of its range. So we could be this week, it could be another couple weeks into March, but that's kind of what that cycle is looking like. Um, so that's what we'll be focused on. If you, if you can't hold six, 6,000 something, you know, it's better. I mean, we've been saying that since you break 10,000, really. There's a couple of spots you could take a shot, but if you bought in front of 10, you got a couple of good bounces. Once we broke 10, you got to play defense because we said you could go to six. So we've stayed out of the way a lot of this last 30, 40%. And, and you look at a monthly chart, if you can't hold six and the monthly cycle plays out, you could be back down at 2,000. Mm. It looks like we're probably, the probability is we're, we're pretty much close to a low here. Well, any any other tokens that you've been keeping your eye on long? Uh, I think kind of what we touched on earlier is salt to me really seems like it's sticking out. Actually, I don't know if we touched on it. But I don't know if our listeners know this. Uh, Dimitri, you said you didn't know this, but it's one of the questions I have when I was in Toronto, and um, I just talked to Sean, who's the CEO, just briefly about it. And 
they they don't actually take risk. They're not actually issuing loans. So they don't have all the loan risks that I think the market thinks they have. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand that. I saw it on Twitter too. They're like, what's it, what's Salt going to do with all these loans? Because everybody's assuming that they're issuing dollars and they're holding the bag on all this coin, but that's not the case at all. So I look at Salt and I think it's just back at two, uh, three dollars. I haven't even seen it in the last couple hours. Let's see. I mean, that just sticks way out to me as a buy. Yeah, well, it's back up at four and a quarter. We got as low as maybe two ninety. Mm. That's just crazy. Basically, the low weekly closes was around two, so we bought some in front of four, and I was gonna double, triple the position if we saw two, and uh, looks like we might not even get that low. Did you guys know that? Salt's more of a middleman. They're not actually taking that loan risk it's pretty smart yeah and part of it was just because too they they were saying that they would never be able to compete with the overall the loan market and which makes a lot of sense if you're the only person taking the other side of the trade then how are you going to compete on like so many other people are going to be able to give you a better loan you just you're only one person so their business model is well we don't want that risk or we we'd rather bring a lot of lenders to the table and then facilitate crypto to these people that are willing to lend. Mm -hmm. I did not know that they didn't assume any risk. And now that I don't know that. Well, I mean, I I'm sure there's risk somewhere. I mean, they're, there's, but I'm, they're not, not in the true sense that they're the ones issuing the loans, you know, like you think of like a countrywide, they were lending <laughs> dollars to everybody and anyone that wanted to buy a house, whether you had a job or not, they didn't even care to look. And they were one of the first ones to blow up and go bankrupt as a, you know, as a mortgage, as a lender. Mm -hmm. That's not the case here. They're not taking that risk. So they don't have this big price risk that I think everybody thinks they do. Anyway. I think, thank you for clearing that up. One, like I've been a fan of Salt ever since I found out their advisor was a uh, what's his name from old Shapeshift. Oh man, Bitcoin Godfather guy. Z, you know the he runs Shapeshift. Oh man, why is this guy's name defeating me? Eric Voorhees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that was that shouldn't happen. Anyways, Voorhees. <laughs> um. He's their advisor. Uh, he's a big proponent of salt. Um, yeah, I like salt. I didn't know that they didn't assume the risk, though. That makes it even more of a something that I want to just have in my portfolio. As you know, I so. think so. I mean, what's your risk from here? I mean, it was basically three dollars downside, four dollars downside to zero. And why can't this? It was already back almost close to eighteen. There's no reason why it can't double, triple just to get back to. Halfway of this move down, it's a double. Mm -hmm. No reason why they they end up being the leader in the space, and that why this isn't at new highs. You know, I mean, especially when you can pay back your loan with salt, and what salt's pegged at twenty is it twenty six dollars, twenty seven dollars right now to pay back a loan in? Oh, I don't know. I don't know those details actually. 
Well, you can pay back salt in a loan, and right now they have salt pegged to a certain number. And I, I'm pretty sure it's at least mm-hmm. in the teens, if not 20. 26. Wow. So, if well, you maybe that's it. part of the issue then, why the market's taking it down. You know, because mm-hmm. they kind of put themselves on the hook. I don't know. I've, I mean, I've, uh, I've heard a few people talk about trying to get their loans processed so they can actually, you know, take advantage of that arbitrage. Between those yeah. prices, you know, take out a pretty big loan, buy up a bunch of salt cheap, and you know, mm-hmm. that's just an interesting thought. It is. They have uh, a little bit of competition with Sweetbridge, but there's a there's some subtle differences there. But so salt, um, I think Neo Gas has held up really well in this whole. Um, this whole down move we've had, Neo's fared pretty well too. No. So, do we wrap it up? Give some closing thoughts, promote the things, get the things out there. Yeah, I think. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. So, the people that want to say, "Hey, how do we, you know, get involved in your community?" Still, the easiest way is to go to Jenkins RM. For risk management rm jenkinsrm.com chat room is free to join um inside there we have a couple paid rooms for our crypto room where we put our buy and sell alerts and you know we, we do more of this with videos and talk to market and work on our timing inside of that that chat room um yeah and then a couple other projects we're always excited about we're building out um digital asset management firm called block edge capital and then we're in the process of um uh private sale right now with our ico called rhythm and um go to rhythm.network for information on that and uh i'll just leave that at that i mean that's our trading platform that we want to bring and build out some technology that takes old wall street does a better job on the financial services side, like we talk about understanding cycles, understanding how to manage your risk, not chasing high and puking on the lows and trying to get the market right. And then also making it simpler to execute where this, as this market develops, everything's still disjointed between all the different exchanges and having to get in and out in, on this exchange and moving dollars in and out and back to the wallet and so forth. We're building some stuff out on the technology side. One of the ideas we call is bring your own wallet. So where we can execute, put out a recommendation, and at the end of the day, through the, uh, through Ethereum blockchain, we actually end up with the asset back in your own wallet along the whole decentralized theme that is you know, what crypto is about. Mm-hmm. That's all I got, guys. Yeah. Talk already today. It's a good wrap up. Yeah. If you want to learn to trade or come hop in our chat room, it's free and open 24 7. You should come to jenkinsrm.com. Yeah. And I yeah. should say, I guess I never talk about my Twitter handle. Uh, you should. Why not? At, right? What is it? At the, yeah, at the Jason Jenkins. And Alec, what's your YouTube channel? I think your YouTube channel's name's Jason Jenkins again. Yeah. And you guys should check that out. Um, we're going to be streaming some live stuff. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. Some of the stuff I'm doing on the live room with our traders on the Forex side and just more 
global mark, uh, global macro stuff on the market side. Um, yeah, yeah. If you want to, the the times exactly are Tuesday and Thursdays, ten to ten thirty, and Wednesdays, eleven to noon, Eastern. Nice. Yep, a lot of content coming from you, and uh, or coming from us to you, and we want to change that narrative a little bit. Like you're gonna see Hoddle time and time again. There's on shirts, it's on hats, it's in chat rooms, it's on Twitter, Hoddle. But the fact of the matter is that's Hoddling is something that uh, it doesn't work if you're just getting in this market. No, it's just you not know? a smart way to manage your risk. It reminds me of like. You know, hope is not a risk management strategy. <laughs> it's just not. I'm going to buy and just hope that five years from now, it all comes true. Hoddle equals hope, and hope does not equal risk management. That's right. There we go. That's how that those relationships work. So swing by, check out all the content. Go ahead. Like GoMo, like we should, instead of FOMO, it really needs to be GoMo. Just talking about that on Thursday. Yeah. You you can watch what the Dow and the U.S. stock market's doing. That's what fear looks like. When the VIX or the short end of the VIX curve blows out like that, if you guys look at that SVXY ETF that that basically the XIV was an ETN that just went belly up, but the other one was trading at 80 yesterday. It opened up at 10. And Credit Suisse said they lost like 500 million on the trade so far. That's mm. what fear looks like. And when people have to sell, or you know, portfolio managers are selling the last few days, not because uh, the market was up at the beginning of the year. People chase the highs on the professional side too, and they they're selling because the market went down so violently so fast. And that's what fear looks like. You don't. You don't have fear when you're missing out on a trade. That's the fear is like, cause like I've, I've been hit on 200 million tens and then not be able to get out and it's just dropping 60 grand a tick on you. That's what fear is. Like you literally can't count to 10. <laughs> the fear is pretty paralyzing, but um, missing out on a trade. No, that's not fear. That's, that's, that's a different emotion. Anyway, we could say that for Thursday. Yep. All right. That was a good preview. We're going to wrap it up. Good stuff. Till next time.